an angel appeared at a faculty meeting and he looked around and then he looked up at the dean of the university and he says, in return for your unselfish and exemplary behavior, professor, the Lord will reward you with your choice of infinite wealth, infinite wisdom, or infinite beauty. Give me infinite wisdom, declares the dean without hesitation. Done, says the angel, before disappearing in a puff of smoke. All the heads now turn in the room to look at the dean, who sits surrounded by a faint halo of light. Well, says the department head, say something brilliant. And the dean stands and with the poise of Socrates says, I should have taken the money. (laughs) He should have taken the money. Beauty is fleeting, and having received wisdom, he thinks that he should have taken the money. Wow. Wisdom like beauty can also be fleeting because... What one person thinks is wise is often not to another. That's what we see today. The scribes were among the most learned people of Jesus' era. They were one of several major denominations of Judaism. We often hear about the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and the Essenes, all denominations of Judaism in Jesus' day. Kind of like the Methodists and the Baptists and the Presbyterians and the Lutherans and the Episcopalians and the Roman Catholics and the Church of God in Christ and the Church of Christ and so on and so forth. All denominations of Christianity today. Perhaps not quite as formally structured then as now, but the idea still holds true. It's easy to get the different Jewish sects of Jesus' era confused. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, for instance. There's an old memory device that they taught us in seminary about the Sadducees and the Pharisees and how to keep them separate and how to understand and remember what each one stood for. It goes like this. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Therefore, they were sad, you see. (laughs) Ow. Meanwhile, the Pharisees... They believed in keeping the law. Therefore, they were fair, you see. Oh, those old corny jokes, they they come off really corny, don't they? Like popcorn, yeah. Uh, But it works. You will never forget that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They were oriented around the temple worship. The sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. All the high priests and the other priestly orders were part of the Sadducean party. They, they were the nominal leaders of the people. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were usually grouped together because they both were heavily involved with interpreting the law. The Pharisees were noted for being great preachers and interpreters of the Torah. They understood the law or the Torah. They interpreted it. They knew how to help people take the law and apply it in their daily living, in their own circumstances. Saul of Tarsus, whom the church knows as Paul the Apostle, was a member of the Pharisaic sect. 
He understood the Torah. He interpreted the Torah. He applied the Torah. And he brought that understanding and that approach to his own life as a Christian apostle, as apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another noted Pharisee that we all should um, be aware of is Jesus himself. Jesus was absolutely a member of the Pharisaic party. He interpreted the law. He applied the law. He lived the law. He expressed the law better than anyone around him. They called him rabbi, which was the title of leadership teacher given to those, especially those of the Pharisaic and scribal parties. Jesus was indeed part of the Pharisaic community, which is one of the reasons why he was so critical of the Pharisees of his day. He, he saw them doing things they shouldn't do. He saw them preaching one thing and doing something else. He saw them picking and choosing those passages to follow and those passages to ignore, and he criticized them heavily for it. Some of his worst criticisms were for those who were the leaders of the Pharisees. He was an inside critic of that community. We don't normally think of Jesus as a Pharisee, but he absolutely was one, member of the Pharisaic denomination. The scribes were often great interpreters of the law too, but they had an additional specialty that wasn't in the Pharisees' playbook. You see, they copied the Torah. They perpetuated it by making copies of it. That's why they're called the scribes, the people who write. They were like the publishing house for the Jewish people. If you wanted a copy of the Torah scrolls, you'd go to the scribes and they would produce one for you. They didn't only copy the Torah. They also copied the great Pharisaic commentaries on the Torah. They produced the Talmud, the Mishnah, and its other elements that interpret the Hebrew Scriptures, that apply the Hebrew Scriptures, that expand upon the Hebrew Scriptures, that take the Hebrew Scriptures and fill in the gaps where they're lacking. They were very important to the Pharisees. And in later years, after 70 A.D. in the fall of the temple when the Jewish faith had to consolidate around the synagogues and the leadership of the Pharisaic party, the scribes were absorbed into the Pharisaic community without much trouble. So it's not surprising that as it's told in Mark's gospel, it's a scribe who asks Jesus the question about the greatest commandment. He's wanting Jesus to do what the great Pharisaic teachers have done for years, provide an interpretation of the law upon which he could form, which he could write down a Mishnaic teaching, an expansion and interpretation of the law. The greatest commandment that Jesus said existed in the Torah, in the law of Moses, is found at the very core of the Hebraic faith. Not just the Hebraic faith, the Christian faith too. Surprisingly, it's not one of the Ten Commandments. Though one might think it ought to be, it's not. No, it's the, what's called the, in, the, in Hebrew, in Jewish faith, the Shema Yisrael, found in Deuteronomy 
chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. In Hebrew, it begins like this. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The Hebrew people would sing this. They wouldn't just say it. They wouldn't just recite it. They would sing it. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achad. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achad. When the scribe asked him his question, Jesus responded with this very root and core, the heart, the center of the Jewish faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's not something new. It's nothing surprising. Absolutely rock-solid, fundamental, foundational stuff for the Jewish people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jesus says that this is the core of the faith. This is the first and the greatest and the most central, the most critical, the commandment of premier importance, Jesus said. There are other commandments. But they all flow from this one. And he gives an example of that too. He wasn't asked, what's the first and second commandments? He was asked, what's the first commandment? What's the premier commandment? Jesus offers this next bit as sort of a free of charge special. The second is this, he said. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You shall love your neighbor as yourself is also nothing new. It might be new to pair it up with loving the Lord your God, but it's not new to the, Christ, to the Hebrew faith or the Christian faith. It's also part of the Torah. It's found over in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. This was what Jesus thought was important. This is what Jesus identified as being the very core, the very heart of our faith. One might expect all sorts of rules and regulations, for that's what we do. But Jesus chose the simple, central core of the faith as being of premier importance. Not that the other parts of the Torah aren't important, He cites them repeatedly in his ministry. He goes and talks about them repeatedly in his ministry. He applies his ministry in ways that are consistent with the Torah. He fulfills the Torah in his words and in his deeds. He lives the Torah as a living Torah, as a living law, as the law written in the heart. And he tells us that that law is to be written in our hearts too. He fulfills the Jeremiah proclamation that it will be written on the heart and indeed becomes ours. 
So it's not to say that the rest of the Torah isn't important. It's that this is the core. This is central. And all other law and interpretations of the law flow from this one. Indeed, when he says that he has a commandment for the people, when he says, this is my commandment, what does he say? That you love one another. Yes, all that he does and all that he says flows from this, the greatest, the premier, the first and second commandment. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So why do we spend so much time as the church roosting on others? on other commandments? Why do we spend so much time focusing in on our pet theologies, our favorite issues and subjects, those that we like to pound on the most, that are most important to us? And we will say even that the whole gospel and the church of Jesus Christ rises or falls on whether or not we abide by these rules and regulations these concepts, these ideas, these precepts. Now, we may have cherry-picked scriptures to support our positions on lots of issues. I mean, we can, I can give you an example of that. Back in Prohibition days, I mean, they outlawed alcohol. And they had good biblical foundations for doing so. Especially, they had also social justifications for doing so. And the evils that alcohol was generating in the society at that time... They exist today, friends. That hasn't changed. But the core of the gospel doesn't rise or fall on prohibition. It rises and falls on loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. As important as it is to preach control, self-control, it's not the heart of the gospel. And yet denominations were formed over this. Church splits occurred over this. I pastored a church in North Carolina that was formed because of disagreements over the temperance movement. At McKendry Methodist Church, McKendry Methodist Episcopal Church in, um, in North Carolina, they split over this issue. And half of the church went down the road about two miles and founded Temperance Hall Methodist Church. And because of the argument in the McKendry Church, it was one of the only United Methodist churches in the South that did not stop using wine in Holy Communion. Wow. Why? Well, uh, one of the biggest members of that church in terms of giving actually owned a vineyard. That's why. <laughs> but that's not unlike the Methodist Church and Bishop Welch and the formation of grape juice and its corporate income either. No, we have our own pet issues, our own pet subjects, our own things that we think are important and that for us the entire universe and even the gospel of Jesus Christ orbits around it and it's nonsense. We may cherry picker a handful, two, three, four, five, or six laws from the Hebrew Bible to support our positions on these issues, but we're ignoring most of the 613 other laws or commandments 
to be found in the Bible. What? 613 in the full Torah? Yes. But we prefer one or two or a few or a handful of them that appeal to us that we can use to beat on other people while ignoring the 422 that apply to us and that we're ignoring. Wow. And when we do that, when we cherry-pick those few verses, we're not even choosing those verses that Jesus chose. Jesus chose, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. We're choosing different verses. Shouldn't we be choosing Jesus' first? Amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ, everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus calls us to do, is built upon love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. We should start there. If the gospel is rooted and built upon that affirmation, if the actions of Christ Jesus, if His life, His ministry, His healings, His feedings, His crucifixion, His death, and His resurrection is built upon love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, how can we do any different? And yet we see churches across the centuries. It's nothing new today, friends. Churches across the centuries have been divided split over other interpretations and other verses that they thought were important. It's happened to us over other verses and interpretations that they thought were important. And yet Jesus is clear. This is the core. This is the central commandment. This is the first commandment, the premier commandment, the one that all other law comes from. Sadly, we will take our verses, our favorite scriptures, we'll apply them, we'll twist them, we'll spin them to make them say what we want them to say and apply them in such a way that they were never intended to be applied outside of their context, outside of their position in scripture, ignoring the context from which they came even, and think we're upholding the gospel. And we're not. Because the gospel starts with Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, Greg, that's too simple. It's got to be more complex than that. It's not. It's not. The gospel of Jesus Christ is rooted and founded on this affirmation. The scribe knew it. He seemed to be at first a little bit startled by it. And then he comes back and says, you said rightly, teacher. And then he does what the scribes did. He then interprets what Jesus had to say. Listen to that again, that little piece again. You are right, teacher. You have truly said that God is one and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That was a huge statement for the offerings and the burnt sacrifices in the temple had been the liturgical worship core 
of the Jewish faith since the earliest days. That's how you paid for sin, with offerings. That's how you paid for the sins that you committed, with offerings. And burnt offerings of thanksgiving and joy and celebration were all important in the Jewish life. But this scribe says no. Loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself is more important than the very liturgical worship ritual heart of the Hebrew faith. And it says, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, and I think this is interesting and sometimes it's missed, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And this last little phrase gives us our hint as to what that means. After that, no one dared ask him any question. Think about it. With such a brilliant response as this, this scribe taken somewhat aback then turns the tables and says, you answered rightly, and then he interprets Jesus, and Jesus hears that, and he doesn't say, you've got it, friend, you're number one, yes, you get an A+. No, he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You haven't quite made it yet. I'm not going to ask any more questions of Jesus if, if this brilliant response only gets a not far from the kingdom of God. Wow. Hmm. You see, as true as his interpretation was, as real as his understanding of what Jesus said was, as valid as it was, the focus that we are called to love God and love neighbor, coming supreme, first, of greatest importance, should call us to reach out, should call us to act in faith, should call us to give a cup in Jesus' name, should call us to clothe the naked and feed the hungry in Jesus' name, should call us to love God and love neighbor without judging others. Ooh. Should call us to serve without calling for response. Because if they're going to respond, it'll be Jesus responding through them. Should call us to be a people of love. Sadly, through the centuries, the church universal, and this is an indictment of all churches, <coughs> Every single one. The church universal has failed to live these words. We've chosen our verses to beat on and the people we're going to beat on with them and we've ignored the calling to love God and love neighbor. When are we going to stop saying that something else other than what Jesus said is the core of the faith, is the core of the faith. When are we going to say that the gospel stands or falls on some pet project of ours, ignoring what Jesus said was the true core of the faith? You see, the gospel does stand or fall on the words of Jesus, on these words of Jesus. Love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor. 
as yourself. In your presence.